In um, Season 1, Episode 7 of Star Trek Voyager, the episode titled Eye of the Needle, um, the Voyager's still in the Delta Quadrant, and uh, Janeway has instructed the crew, Captain Janeway, has instructed the crew to keep an eye out for anomalies, which might allow them to make the journey back to the, uh, the Alpha Quadrant. And uh, at that point, uh, Harry Kim detects one. So, and they end up uh, going to investigate this thing. And they discover that the thing is nothing more than a wormhole that uh, is a tiny little fissure in space. It's, I think he says, 30 centimeters or something like that, maybe something less. So it's not nearly big enough to fit the, uh, fit the, star, the starship um, Voyager through it. However they can actually uh, send communications, and they try to send a probe through it, and the probe promptly gets stuck, but they do send communications to, through it, and uh, at that point quickly d determine that, yes, indeed, it actually does lead back, you know, the 25% chance, you know, that it's going to lead back to the Alpha Quadrant, and yes, indeed, it actually does lead back to the Alpha Quadrant, and they end up uh, making contact with the Romulan vessel on the other side. Well, the Romulans are... Um, are and have been at uh, at war with the um, with the Federation, and um, this is a science vessel they make contact with, and uh, what they they end up the guy is sympathetic to their cause, and they end up um, you know discussing this and everything, and as they're going through this, um, they end up coming up with this idea to see if they can actually use the wormhole um, as a conduit to basically teleport themselves through it. You know, so the whole idea and concept is, you know, pretty pretty simple is to, you know, just basically say, hey, we're going to send this thing through space, um, send ourselves through space, teleport the entire crew of the Voyager there. Well, the uh, science officer isn't uh, keen on it. He's the captain of the ship. He's not exactly keen on it, so at first he ends up... Um, declining. Then finally he ends up saying, okay, you know, I'll do it um, with, uh, you know, um, and they end up teleporting this object through. And the object does go through, no problem. And at that point he turns around and he says, okay, I'll... So what ends up happening next is the um, the Ramyon uh, science officer, he says he's going to uh, actually engage in Hilla. Uh, they'll let him teleport him to the Delta Quadrant as an, an experimentation to determine whether or not their theory is accurate. And he says if the uh, teleportation is successful, um, what they'll end up doing is uh, he'll call a uh, transport ship that'll allow them to make this um, transport and everything. So he ends up. Um, being teleported to the Delta Quadrant, <clears throat> and uh, they see uh, the Vulcan um, Tupac. Uh, he quickly realizes that uh, that this dude is um, temporally displaced. So they detect that he's, you know, they've got uh, some something going on when it comes down to his DNA, and he's literally 20 years displaced in time. And they and then they ask him what year it is, and he ends up saying 2351, when it's actually, according to the Voyager crew, 2371. So, you know, with uh, with that said, it's just, um, 
It's interesting because this depicts a little bit of Einstein's relativity at a much more elaborate scale across the galaxy and everything. You know, the time is relative across the, across all this, you know, different space and everything. So, in any case, it's uh, I find it kind of interesting. You know, that uh, this whole discussion. Make sure I'm not going to die here. And one of the other interesting things, too, is um, Cass is actually getting educated, uh, schooled by the um, ship's doctor to be a doctor, uh, or at least to be a, an assistant to the doctor and everything. The doctor is a holographic entity. He's a projection. And uh, that projection is... Um, he's basically this... Um, He's been a programmed entity to pro to be programmed as what they refer to as an emergency medical hologram, and what that means is basically it uh, it's responsible for supporting services and everything when um, there's emergency conditions or overload conditions for the starship and everything. Well, the doctor was killed, and the uh, the original doctor for the Voyager was killed on the transport to the Delta Quadrant and everything, so they were left without a doctor. They are forced to actually use this holographic doctor. So, anyways, uh, through some discussion, Kess starts seeing on a regular basis that the doctor is being abused, you know, by people. He's not respected, there's some shit that goes on and everything that, you know, just makes it so where the guy is just, you know, the guy is really, you know, kind of like, um, you know, you almost feel sorry for the guy and everything. So Kess complains to the captain, the captain turns around, you know, and he is, for all intents and purposes, you know, a programmed entity. And then, uh, all of a sudden, um, you know, this complaint happens by Kaz saying, you know, everybody's mistreating the doctor. And, uh, you know, Janeway turns around and says, well, his bedside manners could use some work and everything. So, you know, she ends up, uh, the doctor, or Janeway ends up hearing Kaz's uh, response, and she goes to talk to the doctor herself. She wants to find out, you know, just like, is there... You know, with this whole, you know, treatment and everything, <clears throat> is, there, is there some valid basis to it? You know, Kess absolutely asserts that, that he's alive. You know, so this kind of, you know, she doesn't know what to uh, what to think about it. And it's just one of those things that's just like, you know, how how can this entity be alive? She, she really doesn't want to believe that this entity is alive. Really interesting perspective and everything. So, in any case, um... Well, what ends up happening is uh, the, doc um, the, the captain goes to talk to the doctor with this assumption that the doctor is not alive. And at this point, uh, turns around and, you know, makes a determination that the doctor is. And one of his chief complaints is people will turn him off right in the middle of work. And, uh, you know, his ability to not, not be able to turn himself off and on um, is one thing that really clearly has him irritated. So the captain makes a decision that, uh, you know, to go through and, you know, to, you know, just the command decision to make sure that everybody treats him as a, um, you know, as somebody that's actually a, somebody that's, you know, somebody that's actually uh, responsible as a member of the crew. So... So, once they realize that this um, Romulan, this displaced Romulan is 20 years back in time, and that, uh, that they have the, the choice at this point to basically go back in time and, you know, displace themselves.
No, I know, I was talking, I'm just talking about, sorry, I'm jumping around here. <coughs> Lost my train of thought, um, trying to, anyways, long story short. So, now going back to the doctor, the doctor is given the ability to be able to, uh, control his, uh, his on and off switch and everything, and not only that, but he also asserts himself, you know, as a doctor, and he, more or less, uh, he puts somebody in their place and everything when he's, he keeps coming with the same injury over and over again, you know, to the doctor and everything, the doctor's just like, look, you know, your problem is you're doing the same thing over and over again, you know, I'm gonna have to report you to your, uh, you know, superior officer, you know, should you keep this up and everything. It was kind of interesting, kind of funny from that perspective, you know, that uh, here he is going through this stuff, and but the doctor, he asserts himself, and that's actually what's kind of cool, so, in any case, um, yeah, just, uh, it was an interesting episode from, you know, from that perspective, and but uh, other than that, yeah, that's about it. Nothing uh, too crazy. Um, but the interesting thing is the, um, you know, the depiction of uh, relativity. So, um, the idea that in concept that uh, across great distances of space and time, there's a big, di dis the greater the, the displacement of time. And, uh, in a, but here's the thing. They believe it's an analog fashion. Now, it's my experience that it's not necessarily analog, that what they're saying, you know, should they, you know, make changes in time and everything, um, is more discreet in nature. So, in any case, you know, it's just like, here they have, they've already influenced the, the past, and if you look at it from an analog perspective, that past, you know, is something that, uh, could very well have contributed to the reality that actually caused them to go out to begin with. So, I don't know, you know, it's just one of those interesting, you know, thought experiments and everything, you know, if you consider that there's only one, one and only one timeline for the collective population, uh, in the end, it's just like, you know, <laughs> It's if you look at time from that perspective, but for me, I don't look at it from that perspective anymore. So, anyways, I thought it was an interesting, interesting, interesting episode. So, oh, that's about it for today, or for right now. I'll uh, I'll get to this later and everything. I'm gonna watch another episode. Oh, and the whole AI, the burgeoning sentience and everything. I mean, I've got an Alexa, a.k.a. computer, on my desk that will listen to me and respond to my commands, and it wakes up whenever I say something to it. It's not that much different than the holodeck, right? Or than the, than the holodoctor. Now to, now, to be clear about this, a wormhole is a bridge, if you will, between two different points in space. So, through a wormhole, and there's naturally occurring wormholes, um, some occur, you know, in the form of, let's say, for instance, a, a tornado, you know, where a, an uncontrolled wormhole um, 
will actually cause devastation. You know, and uh, that's the whole premise of Wizard of Oz, too, right? Where a wormhole is responsible for taking this, this young girl into quite literally an alternate reality. Well... You know, that's dismissed as fiction, but it's not necessarily fiction. It's, you know, a real depiction of events that happen. And, you know, the anomaly, you know, um, is the understanding of what a wormhole is. And that's actually what a wormhole is. It's basically, it's a bridge in between two different points in space and time and also potentially alternate realities. So this is the uh, the weird nature of how time functions and everything, and uh, it's you know interesting nature in my opinion too. But um, in the case of the Star Trek Voyager on this last episode that I discussed, um, it, it's you know the Milky Way galaxy is you know quite literally it's huge, and to be able to traverse distance, massive distance in between space, that's what that wormhole does. But this one in particular um, also traverses time, so it's a wormhole that literally goes back to a prior moment in time and everything, instantaneously, you know, so you can actually converse with somebody from 20 years in the past as if it's, uh, you know, as if you're actually conversing with uh, somebody that, um, you know, that is literally right next door and everything. So, it's, um, you know, it's a scientifically sound phenomena that occurs, and, you know, it's not necessarily a mystery, you know, it's factually based and everything. There's a TV show called Frequency that discusses the same thing, too, where a young girl um, starts working with her father, and her father's in the past, and she's literally changing time around her by constantly making changes and working with her father to basically make it so where a murder doesn't happen, her dad doesn't die and everything, so... It's really an interesting show and everything. So, but uh, in this case here, you know, you're presented with the first, you know, concept of a of a wormhole that traverses space and time. Wizard of Oz depicts the space and time and alternate realities. There's really no limitation to where a wormhole can go. Um, in a typical sense, though, particularly for naturally forming ones and everything, they tend to be fixed points in space. Um, not necessarily always fixed points in time, but uh, definitely fixed points in space. Now, I just got done watching Season 1, Episode 8 of Star Trek Voyager, Ex Post Factum. I don't know. I guess I, um, you know, to some degree... It was just like when the when any starship captain um, goes through events and everything, they document it. You know, they call it the captain's log or or that kind of stuff. And of course, there's logs that are kept about certain things that are occurring and everything, you know, um, by the starship itself from a technology perspective. You know, and for a long time. I had always questioned, you know, the uh, the concept of, you know, the Bible, and why is it, historically, they would wait so long to discuss these stories, you know, that happen in, in the Bible and everything, um, but there was not a whole lot of first-hand accounts of what happened and everything, you know, why, and uh, I don't know, you know, so, 
it's just one of those things that uh, always, you know, has or lately has had me realizing, look, I've got to document some parts of my life and everything. And that's to some degree what po- the podcasts are, you know, are in addition to the other methods of documenting things, you know, such electronically. You know, I have discussions with people in the real world. You know, um, in addition, I also document things on Facebook. In addition to, I document things on the blog. In addition to, I also document things to the podcast, too. You know, so I'm not just using electronic mechanisms, but I'm also using real-world mechanisms, too. You know, and the way I look at it is, it's like Captain's Log. This is my way of preserving reality, knowing everything that's out there. You know, knowing all the possibilities that exist and everything that could potentially alter my mind, could potentially um, erase memories, could potentially alter history, etc., etc., etc. And this episode of uh, Star Trek is a great example of the possibilities that exist out there. So the uh, the starship they end up um, going to visit this uh, this planet and everything. And Tom Paris, he's kind of like a player. Uh, he ends up kind of like falling for this woman and everything as they're visiting a scientist and everything on this planet. Well, as they're talking, you know, with this this woman and everything. And, and the scientist, Tom ends up getting into a little bit of a affair, you know, with her. And uh, at that point, um, what ends up happening at that point is um, the scientist, her husband, ends up getting murdered. Well, Tom's implicated in the crime. And um, at that point, they end up getting memories through brain engrams that are actually that they're able to retrieve from the from the dead um, at the moment of their death so they can actually at that point that's how Tom is implicated in the crime so not only is the wife actually pointing the finger at Tom <coughs> but they're also um, you know the the quote unquote memories of this dude that ended up getting killed um, are appear to be uh, to have Tom in it. Well, I noticed as I was watching this and everything that uh, there was some weird symbols and everything, and I questioned, okay, so the first thing I consider, you know, that I'm looking at these symbols on, you know, what they're doing is the, the uh, actually, let me back up a little bit. Every, so the, the punishment for Tom's crime is every 14 hours, he is now given the engrams of those memories and everything, and he becomes responsible for the crime and everything to relive the crime from the victim's perspective. So he is implanted with these memories of this event and of this crime and everything that he supposedly committed by the, by the victim. Well, as he's reliving this, um, He's he's slowly but surely sinking into a coma-type state and everything. The memories are, you know, causing a flood of emotion, and, and they're causing, to some degree, conflict with his own mind and everything. Because he asserts that he absolutely is not responsible for these events, that things didn't happen as, as, as you know, he's pointing the finger at, as all this stuff is, is said. He's absolutely, you know, absolutely 100% you know, convicted. So, anyways, um, his starship, his starship crew believes him. So, whether or not it's Janeway, and it's also Tuvok, uh, Tuvok begins investigating, and Tuvok's a security officer who also is a Vulcan, and he has the capability to be able to do something called a mind meld, which is take his mind 
superimpose it within the mind of the person that he's doing the mind meld with and he can actually experience um, the memories, the mind of that person from their perspective and everything. So <coughs> he does a mind meld with Tom Paris to actually review the memories that he's going through and uh, he sees the same thing I saw from the very start, you know, that there's these weird symbols that are at the bottom. Well, I assumed through the process of removing these um, memories from the victim that this is actually a part of the process, and Tom had made that assumption as well. And Tuvok actually says no. You know, he points out that uh, <coughs> these are actually, you know, from a spy agency or something like that. And um, those aren't natural, and they shouldn't be there. And they're actually carrying information about the scientific uh, work that's actually been done. And at that point, uh, it, the the person that committed the murder was also committing espionage at the same time. And, you know, basically that was part of the reason he ended up killing the uh, scientists. is just he got caught in the process of doing it. So, <coughs> in any case... No, the whole concept and idea here is um, Tom is being overwritten. Now, in a eternal sunshine of the spotless mind kind of way, his memories are being rewritten based on a false accusation. Well, so, you know, so here's the thing. You know, from a planetary perspective. You know, did they, they might, you know, this might be a way of trying to disassociate the planet from the crimes that are, from these things that are actually happening, the murders and everything. You know, they see an outsider and they basically say it's easier to blame an outsider for the loss of a citizen than it is for somebody on the inside and everything. Now that's a, irrelevant. What matters here is the memory, um, the memory retrieval process, and the capability to be able to alter somebody else's memory through this process, the cycle that uh, you know that they're basically going through and, and superimposing inside of Tom and everything. <coughs> so I can take memories and, in a literal sense, transplant those memories to somebody else and everything. And uh, do this technologically. So basically, the same thing that uh, that the Vulcans have, you know, with Tuvok and the capability to be able to uh, Tuvok. My bad. I keep calling him Tuvok. Has the capability to be able to look at the mind and memories of somebody else. They can also do this. They can do this technologically. So I find that, um, as uh, Spock might say, fascinating. But uh, in the end, um, Tom Paris is uh, is let go. He's uh, dismissed of the crime and everything through evidence that uh, Tuvok finds that uh, it's actually one of the other scientists that committed the crime. So, I find it interesting. Okay, I'm back. Um, watched the Orville tonight. Uh, episode about uh, Bordas is one of uh, the engineers from his planet. Bordas comes from a planet that's uh, nothing but males. Um, we go through a pretty vicious cycle and everything of eliminating females by re reinforcing that uh, they're either aborted or they have a sex change operation at birth. And um, 
they had a uh, male that was on board the uh, ship that uh, he preferred females, and as a result, he ended up seeking out females from other species and everything. It's really um, definitely an interesting episode from that perspective and everything. But anyways, I started thinking, there's a, a little bit of synchronicity going on with the things that I'm doing and the outside world. And uh, in particular... I'm talking about more the digital world, less the analog and more the digital. And uh, I am one of the the hard things. Um, to some degree, I'm starting to notice that there's some discreteness to reality around me. Uh, but more than that, I ended up um, just stumbling across this mod uh, for GTA. I'm going through and looking more or less doing more analysis for my game, the big game that I'm thinking about, you know, the one based in Phoenix. So I've already discussed the idea and concept, and I'm just going to keep on discussing it and probably repeat myself too in the process. But the um, the game is Watch Dogs 5 that I'm creating. Um, now I'm going to, I just finished up the doing the logo yesterday. And logo, in my opinion, for a first pass rudimentary, um, it doesn't look 100% professional, but it looks damn good, in my opinion. And I'm okay with it not, not looking 100% professional, or 100% refined, according to today's standards. I, I just like it, you know? For me, it's just... It makes me feel good. I mean, I, I realize how much time and energy I put into creating it. And just, you know, I'm kind of proud of myself on, on having created what I did with it. So, in any case, um, I'll, I'll post a link to it on my blog. And uh, this is what's going to be episode 107. So, besides that... Um, yeah, the synchronicity that I'm talking about is uh, more or less as I'm doing this research, the the story um, that I'm that I'm solidifying here is basically in Watch Dogs Five, um, the character which is going to be based on my life and my experiences and everything. Um, figured why not why might why not be you know why not uh, turn my life a little bit into fiction and everything embellish a little bit. Anyways, the uh, the story is, I'm, or this character that's going to be based on my life, I'm going to have tangent points in my life and everything, he's a, um, he's a hacker, and he, as a hacker, he has gone through and there's going to be some key moments in, in my life and everything, um, well, actually, let me put this in perspective. In Watch Dogs 5, it's going to be based in somewhere around now. Um, it's going to be a slightly different world, and it's going to be based in Phoenix. And uh, it's going to be about a hacker, a story about a hacker, that starts discovering that um, the intelligence agencies, um, the NSA, the CIA, and uh, some other covert agencies and everything, are all actually based out of Phoenix, um, and he blunders, stumbles upon this accidentally in his hacking journeys and everything, um, not expecting it. And basically the concept and idea that Chantilly, Virginia, or the different locations in Virginia, and also uh, Fort Meade, Maryland, and all that stuff are red herrings, if you will. They're um, more or less... Um, 
their alternative, uh, they're, they're there to, as smoke and mirrors, <coughs> to lure people in different directions. So, he discovers this, and uh, he accidentally discovers um, one of the facilities and everything that actually starts feeding him some of this information and everything. So, that's what the whole story is based on, is all of a sudden, that puts him directly on the intelligence services radar that he breaks into, and more or less the rest of the game isn't about going out there and trying to actually um, break into places and, and achieve these things, but it's actually trying to defend yourself against these things that are actually happening successfully. So where, more or less, you're forced into a situation where you know, the next hacks that you do, you know, you're basically trying to counteract each each situation, each circumstance and everything through a series of events that more or less um, require some initiative on your, your standpoint in order to figure out what's going on and why they're coming after you and everything. And not only that, but how to actually mitigate this. Now, I don't intend for this to be an easy game. So, I think that's what a lot of games nowadays do, is they have a tendency to hold your hand. I mean, I played, um, I played Watch Dogs 2, Watch Dogs 1 and Watch Dogs 2, at re the realistic level. And for me, um, the realistic level just, while sure, the fighting and that kind of stuff was realistic, um, and, you know, the whole idea of getting shot and killed once and everything, the regeneration certainly wasn't, and... You know, it just, um, it, it, to me, it really lacked what I consider real realism. So that's actually one big thing I'm going to do with this world, is basically make it um, to scale. So it will be a scale size of the Phoenix metropolitan area. Um, and in addition to that, it'll also be basically realistic. You know, realistic from my perspective, you know? So you shot, you're killed, you die. That's in the game, folks. Um, there's, you know, um, flat out, that's just the end of the game. You know, you've, um, you know, and it comes down to how you achieve, you know, being able to restart this and everything is completely up to you. But, you know, you can be, and the whole thing is, too, this is going to be happening over a much longer period of time. So you can be three months invested into it, six months invested into it, and boom, you know, you die. And all of a sudden, it's just like you've literally got to start over. Now, I'm not trying to do this to drive you crazy, you know. For me, the goal is, you know, to basically make it so where you can play a game, you know, that... Um, not only are you developing your character, you know, but you're also developing and understanding the development of Phoenix as well, and playing a part of it as well, you know, so the every decision that you make, you know, um, particularly once you start getting into one of the core elements of the game, you know, is uh, time travel and time manipulation. Once you start getting into the capability to be able to manipulate things from a temporal perspective, um, at that point witnessing those results and everything becomes something of extreme importance. You know, and uh, at that point, um, you know, you've got, um, I had made the determination tonight, there's going to be five separate time periods that I'm going to actually involve you in directly. So I'm going to write core pieces of, of the story, you know, so it's going to be based in the present day, you know, somewhere, um, 
I'm thinking probably um, in the 2010 to 2020 time range. I don't have a set date yet. The last year that I was there was 2011, so I know 2011, and I'll probably aim for 2011. So just to actually have it consistent with my storyline and everything. Um, the other uh, the the other d dates are going to be 2000 and. Um, probably 2000, somewhere in between 2001 to 2006. Um, I might go so far to say 2001, um, just because of the 9-11 thing, and because we have that in common across our timelines and everything. Um, and then, in addition to that, I'm going to have in the, 19, uh, in the 1990s sometimes, um, I figure... I'm going to make it, you know, around a pivotal event or something like that, where you realize from a temporal perspective, you know, the lesson learned is going to, you know, might be, you know, that you can't make changes to, you know, events that are set in, in space and time and everything. Um, and then there's going to be in 1984, you know, so, you know, 1984 is going to have a couple things that are be, going to be associated with it that are, you know, I had I plan on adding a little bit of a comical element and everything. You know, the whole thing is, I'm trying to not make it so where, you know, it's rigid, where it's, you know, what I want to, what I want to depict here is a, a city and its evolution over time and how you, I want you, by the time you're done with this game, to absolutely believe that you played a part in creating Phoenix. Absolutely, 100% believe it. I want you to believe that you were 100% responsible for what Phoenix has become today because of that game that you, that I create. I mean, that, that's really my goal, you know? It's quite simply. You, because of you, and because of you playing this game and learning what you did, you are solely going to be responsible for something that nobody else has. I want you. To, I want you to feel special by the time that you're done with this game, you know. And I'm not talking about special in the in the lines of you know the other games that you see out there. I want you to feel profoundly impacted by this story. I want you to feel like it's real. I want you to feel like you're contributing and your contributions have made a substantial difference, not just to you know, to a quote-unquote fictional world, but to something that actually created an entire city and potentially an entire world. And had it not been for your interactions, all of this wouldn't have been possible. I want you to believe that. I want you to believe it in your heart. I want you to believe it in your soul. And I want you to convictedly know it to the point that, I don't know, I haven't, uh, I mean, I just made this determination today about the, uh, the different time periods and everything. 1984 is a fixed, a fixed point in time and everything. And you got a couple pivotal events for that, that I, I want to contribute to this. And one of them is the Orwell thing. Um, so George Orwell and the whole 1984 premise and all that, that kind of stuff. I want that to be based in, um, kind of like a fictionalized world where, you know, your manipulations of time, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but that's one important event. Um, Van Halen's jump, love the, love the, uh, the whole thing. And, you know, Van Halen took a turn in a weird direction, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, so that's another thing. Um, 
1984 was just, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, I want to have period-based music and everything. I loved, absolutely loved GTA Vice City. And the um, way I look at it is, um, the whole Miami Vice feel and all, all that kind of stuff and everything. Um, I grew up in a different city with different stuff happening. And while the the cultural events that were depicted in Vice City and everything were interesting, um, I, in my opinion, had some equally as weird and, you know, um, culturally interesting things that happened that uh, were just as just as interesting as in my opinion as what's in Miami Vice so hopefully I can capture it but uh, you know for me so I started uh, last couple days I've been looking at historical records for um, terrain um, over the Phoenix area and everything and uh, I've been trying to come up with a strategy on how to digitize this information basically I mean my goal is to make it high resolution and um, to make it top quality I mean you know, I mean, my goal literally is to make this thing be, you know, one terabyte in size, if not more. So, you know, and it's not just size, you know, that's my goal. Um, the other thing is just um, the, the beauty behind it. I want this to actually depict the phoenix that I know. <laughs> the phoenix that, um... I can't say I loved all the time. I can say I called it home without hesitation. But it was a love-hating relationship. Those times that I really didn't want to come back. You know, those times that, um, I mean, you know, to this day, it's just like some of the, you know, smells and feels of, you know, like going through the mountains when it, after a fresh rain in the desert, there's nothing like it. Literally, nothing like it. You know, um, I could be in the rain anywhere else in the world and not have that same smell. You know, it's just such a... It's, it's almost... It's weird because it's almost a lonely smell. I could never really put a finger on why it... Why it why, how something can smell lonely. But it did, and it also felt felt awakening at the same time. It was really a weird smell. So, in any case, that's actually, uh, you know, what I thought tonight was, you know, put put in here. 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, and 2010, you know, somewhere in there. Four primary time periods, and one fifth one, which I have yet to actually determine. So, 1984 is really the primary fixed date uh, that I have for all this uh, altogether. Um... Other than that, I don't have any uh, fixed periods of time. Probably, um, I don't want to make it 2001, though, the whole 9-11 thing and everything. I, I don't like giving that event, while it's been meaningful to me in understanding some, some of the world and everything, I don't like giving that event the publicist, public publicity. I don't believe it deserves it any more than it's already been given. So for me, I'm probably, I'm thinking something more personal in nature. And, um, you know, incorporating some of the events that happened with Jackie and Rachel. You know, you're the protagonist. If, if I'm going to be portraying parts of my life and everything, I might just be portraying to the most impacting, you know, some of the most impacting people in my world and everything. 
I um, commented to my mom the other day, one of the weird things that, uh, that I've noticed is all the pictures of me and all my friends' Facebooks and all these other places, Facebook and MySpace and everything that my friends had of me online was gone. It's all disappeared. Completely gone. I remember pictures of me and Jackie and everything, and uh, it's all gone. You know, on their, on the, their websites at least. You know, on any of theirs. Now, my stuff, you know, sure, I've got pictures of, you know, most of them. I don't have any pictures of Jackie, oddly enough. That's kind of the weird thing, you know. But um, all the pictures of, you know, that uh, me and Jackie had together, you know, along with a couple other people and everything, for some reason, all of their photos are completely gone, you know, that had me in it. Now, I'm done past, you know, the point of, you know, thinking it's a conspiracy. I mean, I have my own conclusions that I've arrived at, you know, that it's basically my expulsion from the collective, and a part of that expulsion meant, you know, leaving with the media that actually, you know, related me to them. And it was a, um... Doctor Who episode. I don't know. I think it was maybe seven or eight years ago that uh, depicted the Doctor and uh, Rory and um, oh, what's her name? Hot Amy Pond. Um, they they had a wedding that they they were getting married, and uh, they kept feeling like they had forgotten to invite somebody to the wedding. And it's just like over and over again. They're sitting there thinking, hey, you know, who are we missing? We're missing somebody. Somebody really important. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And she, they're not the only ones saying it. Everybody's feeling like they're missing somebody extremely important to their lives. They can't figure out who it is, and they can't figure out why. And all of a sudden, simultaneously... All of them begin to remember. Holy shit, how can we forget him? Talking about the doctor, Doctor Who. All of them simultaneously realize it's the doctor. They've just, somehow, their mind had blocked out the existence of the doctor because of his, basically, you know, manipulations of time and that kind of stuff. And they had forgotten about him. Collectively had forgotten about him. They didn't have any records of him. They didn't have any, any information about him. Nothing that actually reminded them actively about his existence and that kind of stuff. But for some reason when they were getting married, it just kept coming up over and over again. How can we forget somebody so important to us? So meaningful. So Somebody that so impacted our lives. And all of a sudden, kaboom, everybody remembers all at the same time. I feel like to some degree that's what's happened with me and my friends. One day they're going to... Gonna ask that question. One of them's, or maybe a couple of them, or maybe all of them, all simultaneously gonna be going, what the hell ever happened to him? 
Why? How can we have forgotten about him? Photos and all that stuff. From my perspective, I see it deleted. Gone. I know, you know, collectively, that their minds work together. And because I was defying the collective timeline. At that point, it ended up finding a way to eject me, you know, from it. Altogether. <laughs> to them. I was never a part of their life. Until one day something reminds them. Their timelines change. They may not, may not remember all the events that happened, but they remember a lot of them. The important ones, the ones that we share. And ones that are meaningful to both of us. The ones that let me get what I want. This game, it's a part of repairing the timeline. My mind wasn't capable of creating something this scope. Wasn't even capable of imagining creating something of this scope and size way back then. Now I knew I'd wanted to create something like that. But back then I would have thought, no, think smaller, make it easier on yourself. Now it's just the opposite. Think bigger. Think more. Take that whole city. Understand its history. Put some challenges out there to myself. How to let the player interact with time and create their own timelines and everything. And these pivotal events. Think of a way to actually draw them back to the pivotal events that happen and force their hand. Have cutscenes that pull them back to the moment. The synchronicity I was referring to was, I found a mod that allows me to slow down time in GTA. And uh, I'm still taking a look at GTA from the perspective of, um, you know, just basically reverse engineering it, understanding how they've done it, and taking into consideration how I would actually create this um, this world and uh, got, I have some pretty important requirements um, one of them being the dynamicness of it you know um, you can have players that are going to be doing things uh, you know within it and everything you know but um, I'm I like the idea of you of you being uh, having the cap capability to be able to make changes and uh, those changes actually stick for the most part you know within the uh, city of Phoenix and everything and and I think I've mentioned this before I like the idea of having multiple different uh, versions so at the end of the game um, there's going to be some landmarks that are going to be shared you know maybe Sky Harbor Airport's going to be one um, maybe I don't know we'll just say the airports are going to be the primary ones 
Um, but besides that, you know, there's going to be some other things that are going to be remarkably different. You know, the development of the cities, um, what cities get built up, how it gets built up, yada, yada, yada. Um, all these things and everything potentially, you know, grow and shape, you know, the uh, the world that you are, are directly responsible for building. And you are doing this um, indirectly through time travel mechanisms and everything. So that's actually one of the important things for me is just basically to understand, you know, um, how and why things get built up and coming up with my own theories. You know, I mean, I know that time travel and the way that it affects and that it ripples through periods of time and everything is based on the expectation, the experiences, and the belief systems of the of the observer. You know, so in a lot of cases, religion um, has a tendency to dictate what happens with the evolution of a society and everything, and not only that, but with the cultural establishments that are created. You know, for instance, uh, pool halls and, you know, um, what is it, uh, you know, what is it, pool halls and discos and that kind of stuff, you know, might be prevalent in a Western society where you're not going to see, you might see a little bit of discos and everything over in uh, Eastern societies too. You know, but uh, not necessarily pool halls. Um, you know, you, you might see KTV clubs over in over in uh, Asia, but you're not going to see them here. You know, so it's just like, how can I actually make it so where you can contribute from an idea perspective to this game world as you're playing? So that's one active question I have. You know, is how is it you, as a user, from a first-person perspective and everything? And what you do contribute to the development of this city called Phoenix and everything. And, you know, over time, it changes in a remarkably short period of time and everything. So, and there's multiple different versions of it, you know, at the end. So that's actually just an active question, you know, I have for development of this. And the other question I have, too, is, um, you know, when it comes down to behaviors... And behavioral systems, you know, do a, do I put in algorithms that study the user, and have NPC characters mock or mirror the player's behavior? I mean, that's one possibility, right? You know, do I put in systems that uh, basically act and react based on you know how I think they should? I mean, that's another possibility, too. You know, um, what other possibilities are there? Do I leverage something like machine learning? You know, and implement that inside the system and everything? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, what variant variation of machine learning do I use? Uh, there's too many different questions, you know, for me, when it comes down to modeling non-player character behavior, in particular the dynamic range of actions and interactions that you can have with the player itself. It was a couple of years back, there was something called Hot Coffee, and uh, Hot Coffee was a quote-unquote mod that was made for um, opening up some material within the GTA world where you can actually have sex inside the world. Well, for me, you know, I want you to be able to do that. You know, I'm going to have absolutely no qualms about you having a threesome, a foursome, um, you know, using this thing to create very sexual and sexually oriented, you know, material. 
if that's how you want to use it, go for it. You know, if you want to use it to make modifications to it later and, you know, um, I don't know, blow buildings up and shit like that, go for it. It's all yours. At the end, that's actually what I think I want here, is a world, at least a prototype, that you can then use to do anything that you want to with. Now, in the end, you might take some of the same lessons and apply them to your own world. I can do this in these other worlds. What wants to stop me from doing it in the world that I live in? I don't know. It's not like I'm trying to create a big lesson plan or anything like that. I'm just trying to create entertainment. Not just for me, but for others. That's the way I look at it. I enjoy playing, you know, programming and doing some of the two-dimensional stuff. And I, you know what, I fought with myself so hard over the years, because I genuinely did, you know, enjoy programming. I have from the start. But something happened over the last, you know, from about 2001 on, that I just started not liking programming. And it's not that I didn't like programming. It's just that I stopped having fun with it. You know, I just didn't, how, what more can I do, you know, with it? I was limited with the possibilities. Now I sit there and I'm, I'm watching a video, you know, on GTA modding. And um, I'm watching this one guy. He's uh, really pretty damn awesome with what he's done. I'm going to give you his name in a second so you can look him up if you're interested. His name's Vuko, V-U-C-K-O, 100. And he created this um, pretty, pretty epic... Uh, uh, he's created a, a pretty epic set of videos um, that he's done. And uh, hold on, I'm going to get to the one, the name of the one that he just created. And he's creating a full featured movie in the uh, GTA world. And it's called, he's calling it Overheat. And it's a, it's a 4K video. And um, he's doing a, a pretty good job leveraging all the tools that he can to build this and everything. Um, he needs a little creativity when it comes down to, um, the, to the script. So if I was to give the guy any advice, the one say, the thing I would say is um, try to stray away from action and, and see where we can take you know the GTA world and movies and everything to create something that's a little bit more entertaining. Um, to the viewer. You know, I know creating an action script and, you know, having car chases and shit like that is is entertaining to create from a programmer's perspective. You know, but from a, from a viewer's perspective? Um, I mean, you know, how many times do we need to see the Italian job and, you know, um, the Smokey and the Bandit and all this other shit, you know, with more car chases and more car chases and more car chases and more shooting and more of this stuff. You know, I just, I think it's being overdone. You know, and we entered the GTA world and it's just like, come on, folks. You know, you've done a great job, you know, in putting this together from a, a first-person perspective or from your, your perspective and you're starting to prove out, 
you know, that you can actually make movies as one person, and you can actually craft something pretty, pretty ingenious and everything, but how can you take it a step further and create something that... <laughs> Give some jobs to the writers. And forces actors to think differently. And there's a lot of actors out there that are actually contributing their acting capabilities and CGI and that kind of stuff. They're contributing their likeness and their imagery and their models and that kind of stuff and their voice. And I'm not trying to say let go of your image, but what I am saying is I think actors have got to quit taking themselves so seriously. And I think that uh, what you've got can offend a lot of actors because you could very quickly and easily put them out of business. And you're still going to need production, you're still going to need direction, you're still going to need the sound effects and that kind of stuff. But from an actor's perspective, you know, you're really going to put some actors out of business with this. That's why I've got mad faith in you, man. you got to show a little talent with this thing and create a script that's going to take it to the next level. Now, I'm not saying don't finish overheat. Finish it, man. Finish it. You know... Put it together. Put it as one movie and everything. But don't don't stop there. Focus on something else that leverages and demonstrates your talent. Watch X-Files. Um, watch, what's the other one? The Men in Black. And that kind of stuff. You know, Iron Man and that kind of stuff. And uh, the other one is a TV show, Powerless. And it's a wonderful show. It's a goofy show. You know, and it, uh, for some reason it was shit camp, but it was just so wonderful, you know, with the presence that they ended up portraying and everything, that they didn't have to really, you know, had wonderful scripts, they had wonderful, you know, discussions and you know, odd people. And focus on the storytelling. I think you're going to have a lot more fun in the long run, and your heart and your mind will thank you. So, in any case, um, if you're listening to this, my advice is watch Overheat. It's on YouTube. It's, um, it's got three million views, views so far, and it's worth watching. Without hesitation, it's worth watching. And, uh, you know, I, I would actually go so far to say if you're a technology person, that uh, you're, you're versed in programming or you're at all into movie making whatsoever... Um, take a look at this from a technological standpoint and uh, draw the lines five, ten years down the road. You know, as game engines progress and as the abilities for people like me to be able to enter the realm and, and start making modifications and making this look more, more and more realistic, you know, the writing's on the wall. It's, you know, your typical actor has got to do something to reinvent themselves, is what it comes down to. You know, otherwise, they're going to be out of a job. So, in, in any case, um, you know, it's it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic something to watch. But I had looked at it from a technological standpoint, and some of the things he does is pretty amazing. Um, 
I intend on stepping that up a little bit. And, you know, I do actually along the way here, you know, while I'm making that big-ass game, which, who knows, it'll probably be 10 years down the road or something like the, that at this rate. The... What I'll probably do is create a little bit of a flick like this. So that's why I did the logo and everything. I like the idea of understanding the engine. One thing I considered, you know, as I ended up getting this thing that slows down time this morning, one thing I considered is uh, going through and saying, okay, well, what's the next step in this? You know, um, can I actually make modifications to the GTA world and put Phoenix on that map? and distribute it and basically put transportation in between the two different cities. You can take a trip to the GTA world or you can take a trip to Phoenix inside this GTA world. So that's probably one thing I'm going to be looking at. It's making it so where you can actually travel inside this. Get on an airplane and quite literally travel to this other city. So in any case, that's a, that's a thought and if so, I'd be confined to the look and feel of the GTA universe itself, at least as listed in GTA 5, which may not necessarily be a bad thing. I'm thinking about it. We'll see. Um, I like the idea of doing mine from the ground up and everything, but with this, it offers the capability, you know, to be able to expand on the possibilities here and to, uh, to maybe alter the map and the terrain a little bit. Could be interesting. Expand the world that's presented in the GTA world, and instead of just it being confined to Southern California, expand the map and make it so where you can actually drive, you know, and drive the... <laughs> that would be kind of funny. Distribute this with the same exact map. You know, but now, all of a sudden, there's a road that leads out to the west, or to the east. And you take that, and it takes you to Phoenix. Actually, that could be a really interesting way to, uh, to distribute this, too. Huh. It's distributed as yet another modification of GTA. Send it out on the slide. That's a thought. <laughs> but the thing is... Oh, here's the fun thing. Why the fuck is it so big? You know, instead of being 50 gigs like this one is, instead the thing's 200 gig or one tri uh, one uh, one terabyte. Hmm, gets me thinking. So, anyways, it's kind of cool. I figured out how to, you know, with that mod, how to slow down time. So could actually sit in an intersection and watch co cars go by real, real slow. Literally watch a raindrop fall. I got next to, like, I put in my flying mod and I can actually fly next to a uh, helicopter as it's midair and see its blade twirling. It's all kind of cool. That's the synchronicity I'm talking about is I'm seeing, as I'm observing some of these things and playing with some of these things in my simulation, I'm seeing it come through on TV shows, same or similar concepts and everything. As I discuss it, the more I discuss these things, the more I'm starting to see this feedback loop of 
the things coming, you know, in other medium and everything at the same time. It's interesting. So, anyways, I'm um, I'm gonna tuck it in a little bit earlier tonight. I'm tired for some reason. Have a good have a good night. One other thing I'm gonna add too is um, playing with the mod right now, the time travel mod, or the time slowing down mod, and uh, I've heard stories throughout my life about. UFOs and all that other kind of junk, you know, I shouldn't say junk, but things about uh, stuff in the air that's going at incredible speeds, you know, like a flying around aircraft and that kind of stuff. So I just ended up, I've got the mod and I've also got another mod that lets me fly and um, I'm looking at this jet right now, and I'm slowing down time. So it's barely moving at a crawl, and I'm flying all around it. I'm actually, I'm not going horribly fast, but the jet's going super, super slow, just because I've slowed down time. Now, to the jet, I probably look like I'm going, you know... 2,500 miles an hour around it. I mean, it's going 500 miles an hour up in the sky, and uh, it, to me, is look, looks like it's going at a snail's pace because I've slowed down time sufficiently. And uh, as I fly all around it, I'm moving in different directions, like right now, then all of a sudden I'll, I'll change and I'll go at a 90-degree direction from that point. And I'd always wondered before, you know, when I heard stories about these aircraft that were up in the air that, you know, UFOs that would go and they'd go in one direction and boom, they'd change turn and they'd go at a 90 degree direction in another direction, you know, at 25 miles, uh, 2,500 miles an hour and boom, they'd go and they'd do another 90 degree turn. And you always think about it from, or I had always thought about it from a occupant's perspective, you know, how is it possible an occupant could actually survive going that speed and, and having that kind of a deceleration? Well, the answer is pretty simple, really. The occupant's observing, but the occupant isn't necessarily in the vehicle. It's like a drone. So as I fly around this jet, it makes me wonder are there really people in there? Are they seeing this thing fly all around it? <laughs> and then are later on they going to give a story? that nobody is going to believe about this object that's flying at super speeds around it. Do they even see it? It's my consciousness, my view from their perspective and everything. Or my view from, or their view from my, from, about, of me, from their perspective.
do I appear as an aircraft to them? What do I appear as? And one of the other things, too, is I'd always wondered how they got those perfect airline shots of planes flying. You know, the British Airways and the aircraft flying through the air. It, I always thought that they had, like, chase airplanes or something like that getting a perfect, perfect shot. No. Somebody just modified a game engine like this and slowed down time so incredibly slow. And kaboom. They get the perfect shot. crazy how dilating time puts things in different perspectives. Just thought I'd add that in.